grief can be lonely and isolating, especially for those experiencing pregnancy and infant loss. At times, it may even feel as if the sorrow might consume you. Welcome to the Birthies Loss Support Podcast. Join me, your host, Michelle Smith, as I hold a much-needed space for grief, remembrance, and the journey of healing through conversations with grief and trauma experts, the sharing of stories of loss and love, as well as guided meditations. Hello and welcome. I'm so grateful that you are here. This week's episode is really quite precious to me. I met Nasla because she reached out to me for grief support after her miscarriages. And we quickly dove into these really profound and insightful conversations. And I'm so grateful that she was willing to share her insights and her thoughts and experience of motherhood, on being a woman, on femininity, on birth, on trauma, on grief, on loss. There's so many pearls of wisdom contained within it, and I hope that you find as much value and comfort from this conversation as I did. I adore Nasla and the powerful places that our conversations take us. Welcome, Nasla, to the podcast. I am so incredibly grateful to have you here. I cherish our conversations and I always gain so much from them. And again, I'm so thankful that you're willing to be here and share your journey of motherhood and share these incredible insights that you have. Michelle, thank you for having me in your safe space, as you always do. And uh, I must say that you have provided me that sacred space where I can feel and be whatever I want to be and whatever I am as a mother, as a person, as a human being who experienced intense grief and loss of a baby, my baby that I have experienced seeing die um, three years ago. I should say almost, it's going to be almost three years now. And I did not meet you until until it was like two years after my miscarriage. So I did not have that safe space to share my experience with anybody, including family and friends. I did not share it um, with anybody in a sense. I talked to my husband about it, of course, but it's not the same thing as having that safe space with another woman. I think gender plays a huge role in sharing these experiences, in a sense, these honest experiences. So I can talk about it a little bit. But before that, I want to say I had two children. My oldest is 12 and my youngest is nine. So I got pregnant very easily right away. We started to try and I got pregnant. 
everything was so easy and you know just textbook perfect in a sense uh, in terms of getting pregnant but my birthing experiences were very difficult I should say I had two cesarean sections the first one was I was pregnant until 42 weeks mm. you know I had to have induction they forced me into it they didn't want to wait any longer you know after trying for a while they said oh your baby is in danger and I had cesarean I had to sign the papers and agree to it and it was such a such a trauma for me the whole experience it's still I can still replay it in my head like with picture frames <laughs> like in my head yeah yeah and um I was so happy to have my baby in my arms I had this love rushing into my heart yet I was broken in so many ways I didn't feel that I belonged in, into that hospital. I didn't belong there in that room. I didn't want to be there at all, <laughs> other than having my baby in my arms. It was just such a surreal and disturbing experience. And with my second one, I, I again waited until 41 weeks, 42 weeks and 41 and a half, I should say. And they said, your baby is too big. And I had to have another cesarean. It was almost, he was nine pounds and eight ounces. So, but I think I would be able to have my child through natural birth if I was, if I were allowed to have maybe some more time. Uh, yet I was crying when I was going into the operating room. Again, proud and happy to have my child in my arms, yet I didn't belong into that place, that space. It was almost like, breaking my spirit to be in that zone of you know they were it was just not the right place to for me to have my baby I should say but the experience after cesareans you know it was always like I had to be grateful about having healthy children having an easy pregnancy I am healthy I can recover from that word I love that word recover from the operation that cesarean so I was kind of naive to think that, oh, everything is so smooth and I had these beautiful children so easily and I had to, in a sense, you know, move on and not think about the trauma and not think about, talk about it and complain about it. So I, I had to be, I shouldn't be bitter about anything because I had beautiful, healthy children. Yes, isn't that... I don't even know if I have words for that because it totally negates your experience. It's just this, be happy, you're okay, your baby's okay. And when you were speaking about that, I'm just going to use the word fear and disappointment of needing that cesarean in your birth. I was flashing back to my own birth and when I was signing the papers to do a cesarean and then ended up she was born with forceps and that was a hugely hugely traumatic birth and while I'm not going to get into that there was this well you're okay your baby's okay and as a mother, it's almost like we don't even know 
to acknowledge the trauma. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Because everybody around us is like, well, you're okay. Your baby's okay. (laughs) And then you have to take care of the baby. And there's no space for processing it for many of us. It wasn't until my third pregnancy where my midwife asked me, I was with a birth center that time, like, tell me about your first birth. Tell me about your second birth. They want to know. And when I told her what happened, she looked at me and said, Michelle, that must have been so traumatic. And I just fell on her chest and cried. And even the sharing of my stories with my friend, who was my midwife with my fourth baby, like her jaw dropped. But before that, there was no space to acknowledge that, that grief and that loss and that trauma. We're just supposed to be grateful that our baby's okay. And working in this field of, and that's the purpose of this podcast is we're talking about pregnancy and infant loss, the death of a baby. So yes, we are grateful. And in that, it doesn't negate our trauma. Yes, definitely. I agree with the fact that whenever there is trauma, there is always silencing, the silencing effect of trauma. Mm -hmm. We need to be silenced. We are, you know, as women, we are disempowered and devalued. Our experiences are devalued, are dismissed. It's almost like such a huge trauma is trivialized you know it's a normal thing it's okay get on with it move on and you feel you feel like there are things left unspoken and we want to talk about these things and these experiences we want to we want them to be acknowledged not ignored or concealed or covered up behind some you know some understanding of a negative experience oh nobody wants to talk about these you know, negative thoughts when you have a beautiful baby in your arms. How about when I don't have that baby, when I lost my child, when I've experienced the death of my child, how about then? Why do I need to be covered up behind a veil with all these intense emotions and experiences? Why is it a burden to share my experience, which is considered as being loaded with these negative thoughts? Why, why is it a burden? I think it's a very existential problem because when you don't have a baby in your hands, when there is nothing, there is this nothing, this huge nothingness, there's this huge, huge emptiness, there's nothing to talk about for many out there. Yeah. Uh, in a sense, women are left, left alone. And it's, it's hard. Some people may think like they might n- not know what to say, how to say it. But when you experience it, obviously you understand it in a different way. You have an outlook, you know, you just understand how to approach these things. Maybe everybody wants to say something, but culturally, linguistically, in a sense, culturally, we don't want to talk about these things, these negative, I'm putting quotation marks, negative experiences. I think when we think about birth and death, it's just such an emerging topic. And I know you're interested in these two in your own work. And 
I value that so much, so much, because it, it gives human emotion a real safe and sacred space to be. Because it's all about these experiences. When I talk about the birth of my children, and when I add my experience of having a miscarriage and losing my child, seeing the death of my child, all I can say that the emotions are so mixed. So there is this, it's not linear. There's not one time and space where I don't think about all of these all at once. When I'm miscarrying my baby, I think about my own childbirthing experiences. When I had my two cesareans, with the first one with the induction, I had contractions. But with the second one, I, I just, the baby was taken out of me. But with my miscarriage, which was a natural birth, I had the contractions. I waited for it to come, for these contractions to come. So everything was so natural. I was birthing my baby, except for the fact that I had a baby in my arms to caress and to take care of. Yeah. So I can never separate my experiences of, you know, having my children at a hospital to a cesarean and losing my, you know, having my baby dying in my own home while I was giving birth. Yeah. So this, I think this dichotomy is just, is so powerful for us to think about and having that safe and sacred space to talk about these experiences. So, so important for women to live their lives and be who they want to be. And own their own experiences in their own physical and mental and spiritual beings. It is so important. So I value your work so much in that respect. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you using the word sacred because I do feel it's sacred. And there is this space where birth and death meet. And we tend to skirt around that. And it needs to be honored. And even when we give birth to a live baby, in a sense, there is a loss and a death of who we were before if this was our first child. Because we're no longer that single person. We're forever a mother now. Mm -hmm. And so there's so many areas in our life where there are grief and loss Even in this pandemic, we're in this state of grief. We were talking about that before we started recording. Our lives will never go back to where they were. We're in this state of, I feel like, fight or flight or freeze. We've been in it for 18 months now, and we're all exhausted, and we're grieving. And because we're such a grief-illiterate culture... There's hardly any space for that where it's discussed. Yes, I mean, we also spoke about, you know, the transformative power of childbirth before recording. We were Mm -hmm. talking about it and it, it gives me chills to think about the transformation that I have experienced through my children's childbirth and then my miscarriage. Yes. I agree with you 100% when you said 
a mother gives birth to a child or gives birth to her own self too, you know, just the rebirth, you know, transformation. Mm-hmm. That's always understood through the lens of childbirth. But when I think about my own miscarriage, I have this instant first image of my baby in that ultrasound screen. Mm-hmm. Moving arms, eight weeks arms, legs, little tiny <laughs> being. I remember and brings like happy, happy thoughts into my head. It's just, it doesn't bring, you know, it's a teary happy thought. It's just a weird experience. Right. Mine was a missed miscarriage. It, it was called as a medical term in a sense, missed miscarriage. So it has this double faultiness mm. <laughs> of, of a language, of a concept in it. So it was missed or I missed it. I didn't realize that my baby died inside my womb at eight weeks because they measure it. They measured my baby at 12, almost 11 and a half weeks. Oh, your baby stopped growing at about eight weeks, probably right after I've I've seen my baby in my womb. Mm. And then my body had not realized that my baby had passed away inside my womb. So it was a missed miscarriage. That's the concept. And I, I was so appalled by that concept at the time. Yeah. So I had my midwife. She's amazing. So she was with me. They didn't even want her to be in that ultrasound room. My husband was traveling. So I, oh. I had bleeding. And then I called my midwife and she said, let's go right to the hospital. Because at about 11 weeks, I saw my midwife and they couldn't detect a heartbeat. And they said, let's schedule an ultrasound soon, maybe next week. And a few days later, this happened. Mm. So she met me at the hospital, knowing that my husband was not here and kids were at school. So we went and then the technician didn't want her to be in the ultrasound room. And I was crying and she said, there's no way I'm not letting her go into that dark room on her own. This brings tears to my eyes. Yes, and why do we do that to women? Why? 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 Yes, why? why? And then why? Why? The technician, obviously, there are different reasons. You know, I know hospital policies are long papers written little with little letters, but he can't tell you what he sees until after a doctor comes and sees his report. So he looks at the screen and sees and. My midwife was next to me and she was holding my hand so hard. And she was telling me with her eyes, like, you know, without saying much, trying to (laughs) control the situation with the technician, Mm -hmm. that the baby did not have a heartbeat. So she was Mm -hmm. seeing it. You know, I was not allowed to see. Uh, Even if I were to look, I remember looking at it briefly on my own when I got up and I couldn't see much because it. I was crying and it was just hard to see. And it was just such a rushed thing. Even though I had my midwife, think of it. If I were on my own, I don't know how I would survive that situation. Yeah. So um, I was released and they said, you know, your baby had died and you will just miscarry. And they sent me home. And obviously with, after I spoke to my midwife, I decided to wait it. I didn't want to pill and I didn't want anything, you know, intravenous that I just didn't, I didn't want it to happen that way because my body did not 
realize it yet. Maybe my body was not ready for it yet. Mm-hmm. And I, don't get me wrong. I don't judge any other women because it's such a hard thing to wait for yeah. it to happen. Yeah. It is so hard. So I would never, I would never think that, oh, why hadn't she wait and, you know, wait for it to happen naturally? No, everybody has their own choices and it's such a personal experience. So I, I wanted to be home. I didn't want to be anywhere near the hospital, to be honest. Right, right. Because truly that in itself, this is a trauma. This is more trauma. And to go back into that hospital that was so traumatic to you before, it would just amplify the situation, I would think. Definitely, definitely. It, just as I said, it has a link. It has a relation. It's connected on a deeper level with my own experiences of giving birth to my children through cesarean. I did not want to be near the hospital. I had to be there because my midwife was right and she wanted to confirm and we had to see if there was anything to do. I mean, that we needed to do. We would be able to see right away. But she was there with me the whole time. So I don't regret at all going there. Obviously, it was the right choice. But for obvious reasons, I did not want to go back there to take care of the situation, you know? Right, right. So I did not want it to be something to be dealt with. Oh, okay, there's no baby to catch. There's no birth in the real sense of the term with a baby to catch. So the baby was eight weeks anyways. So that's the attitude, you know, it's just a little, oh, not fully formed yet. Well, it's just that rhetoric around having a miscarriage before 12 weeks. Oh, this was my baby. I saw my baby moving. I saw, I have the ultrasound picture. I saw my baby. My baby was real. And my experience needs to be acknowledged, not dismissed. My baby died in me. So I, I wanted that freedom to experience it as my body would prepare itself to release my baby from my body. Yeah. Yeah. Because no matter what point in a pregnancy, it's still a release and it's still a birth. Yes, definitely. But when we think about all this language around miscarriage, yes, yes. <laughs> that we spoke about, yes. the fault in it, the fault, miss, it's bad. It's just wrong. You know, there's something wrong with it and you can't carry the baby and you drop the baby. My native language is Turkish. So I'm fluent in several languages and I, I'm a linguist by heart and <laughs> by soul. So I love thinking about these aspects, you know, of languaging around women's experiences around childbirth yes. or miscarriage. So miscarriage on, on its own. And in my case, mis- miscarriage had double fault in it. So I, my body missed it. Couldn't realize my body was faulty. Couldn't realize that my baby had died. Mm. So if my body were like smart enough, it would have released the baby right away rather than having me walk around with a big smile on my face, like for four weeks. Mm. Uh, Oh, I'm happy. I'm pregnant kind of a thing. So it just creates this bitter relationship uh, between the woman as myself, like between the woman and her body. It creates this mismatch. And 
it's just such a violating thing to to describe it as such. And in Turkish, it's called düşük, which means you drop something. Mm. And then it comes with the verb mate. So you make düşük in a sense in Turkish. So I did not choose to drop my baby. I did not choose it. I was not faulty. I did not do anything. It was not my fault. I did not choose to drop my baby. When I think about this, these aspects, these words, it's always, right. it always has this negative connotation, this faultiness, this wrong, wrong, something wrong. Something is wrong with me. I made a mistake and I lost my baby. Yeah. yeah. I caused the death of my baby. There's this huge responsibility through language, this power through language that is exerted on women as mothers. It's just such a huge issue that needs to be spoken. I know that you like to talk about these aspects, so I wanted to bring this up. <laughs> no, I'm so glad you did, because we women tend to blame ourselves. And you're right, even in the languaging, that inherent blame is there. So subconsciously, we're going to blame ourselves and we can feel like as mothers, as women, it's our job to protect our baby and we couldn't do it. Yeah. And then that underpinning of that it's our fault. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And it's when you're blamed for the death of your child, in a sense. Yeah. When a woman is blamed for the death of a child, there is this huge silencing effect of all these intense emotions. And when we talk about transformation, the transformative power of childbirth, there is a transformative power of the miscarriage too. Yeah. And then when these emotions, these huge waves of emotions coming at you and coming through you and surrounding you, changing your sense of time and space and what you're going to be doing on this earth. It just, when it's silence, it leads to intense feelings of um, being lost in the world. And when you don't have that safe space to live your grief and to grieve the death of your child, it can lead to huge anger just I was sad I was sad for a long period of time but after a while because of these emotions because of these huge emotions were suppressed in me and I was not able to share them with the world with you know in a safe sacred space I felt anger I was angry at my womb because I had my children so easily in a sense I got pregnant so easily and with this baby I it was so hard for me to get pregnant due to several reasons maybe I was yeah because I started to try at I should say at about 40 years old maybe later 30 39 40 Mm -hmm. and I had my second child at 35 so I turned 36 actually when I had him I feel like because I was able to get pregnant after trying so long and I had experienced the death of my child I think there was this huge anger because of these emotions being suppressed in me. So I, in terms of feeling this anger at myself, at my, you know, at the 
inability, I am putting in quotation marks, inability of my womb to protect this baby or my body to protect this baby. I think I felt huge anger and it's just, it was such a loss of this transformation that I could have experienced if I had this safe space, that sacred safe space where I could share these huge emotions and I could release them. I wouldn't feel isolated. I wouldn't feel maybe um, silenced and I wouldn't feel disempowered. I would feel maybe more empowered because I would feel, oh, okay, this was not, and people are acknowledging that this was not my fault. I did not cause this. Yeah. And the fact that there is this hidden, you know, there is this talk around these issues. It doesn't help how these emotions are suppressed because women can't share their emotions freely. There is always this brushing off of these, bitter feelings. Oh, you need to be grateful that you have, you know, you have two healthy children and you have a beautiful family that you need to be strong for. Am I weak? Was I weak? I've never been weak. So I have to toughen up, you know, I have to be tough and get yourself up. I have to move on and I can't grieve and I should be happy, grateful, happy and grateful about the fact that I have a beautiful family and I can't be sad about the death of my child, what I could have had. Yeah. Yeah, because that's part of what we're mourning too, is we're mourning our child and watching that child grow up and the experience of adding another person to your family and all that that entails. That's what we're grieving as well. And people tend to forget that. Definitely. And it becomes a lonely path, you know, Mm -hmm. to grieve on your own, in your own world. Because when somebody says those things to you, without, you know, without meaning anything bad at all, they want you to feel better. But maybe I don't want to feel better. I I don't ever want to feel better. And there is this guilt around feeling better after experiencing this kind of intense emotions and seeing your child, you know, coming out of you and you just, you missed on everything that you have dreamed of, you know, you have dreamed about. So right, it becomes such a lonely path when women are not allowed to express their own feelings. And when you express them, you become this brave person to come out to talk about the death of a child or a miscarriage. So I never considered myself as brave when I wanted to talk about these things. It's not, it's just human experience and human emotions. And I have to walk this path on my own. And I am transforming myself with this huge anger because I suppressed all these emotions and I was not allowed. I even didn't give myself allowance to feel these emotions and talk about these because the power exerted over women is just such a sneaky Mm -hmm. (laughs) exercise of power. It's just, it's everywhere. I mean, we can't isolate ourselves from this at all. So at one point, even though you feel like, okay, I was telling myself, okay, I'm having issues. So I have PTSD probably, I have anxiety because of this trauma and then all this 
past experiences are just coming into my head too, my childbirth experiences too. The sense of time and space is lost and I am thinking about all these experiences. Yet I know that I'm aware that I am suppressing all these emotions and it's not good for me. And it turns into anger. Mm -hmm. And then it turns into isolating myself even more. I'm not saying that everybody will experience this a lot, but I'm sure somebody who experienced a miscarriage you know, would understand what I am talking about in some different ways, probably. It's such a personal experience. I'm talking about my own personal experiences, yet it's so true that it's similar in many senses, that lonely path to transform yourself through intense grief and suppressed emotions. And then all these emotions turning into anger, which is the worst, I think, because I was thinking about my womb as this naive <laughs> uh, being, being able to, which can you know, produce children so easily. Just I, I try and I get pregnant. And all this has changed through obviously difficulties in conceiving a child. And then I conceive a child and then I miscarry the baby. So all these effects all these aspects of experiencing these merge into this huge anger toward my own self and my own, not only myself, but also my own womb, I should say my own motherhood and femininity. Mm -hmm. And then I tried later on and I, I just was not able to and did not happen. I had one blighted ovum case after miscarrying my baby so during this pregnancy after my miscarriage mm-hmm. I was not able to see a formed baby in the ultrasound it was just a blighted ovum um, it's a medical term that they say <laughs> about this so after that I tried but I was not able to we were not able to get pregnant and we did not try afterwards and at that point I should say that I had this realization that I would never have another child. I would never be pregnant again. So that was that was an intense um, thing to think about. And when you are not able to grieve properly, when you're not offered a safe space, a sacred space to grieve properly and to mourn the death of your child, and the fact that this was my this would be my last ever pregnancy with a baby with an ultrasound picture it was just I think I should say it was just an identity and purpose crisis (laughs) so who am I and what is my purpose and I will never have another child I know that I will not and I will never be pregnant again so that was the question so what now what 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 am I going to be (laughs) right Right. And I feel like that often doesn't get acknowledged either. True. When, as I want to say, most women, even if they know they're done, like I have my two kids or I have my one kid or I have my five kids or however many children someone chooses to have or is blessed with, depending upon the circumstances, but it trying to find my words there is this process of grieving 
the loss of our fertility, or I shouldn't even call it a loss, the ending ending. of our fertility. And in our culture, everything youthful is prized. (laughs) And so where there's very little space, I'm 55. So I'm in that menopausal stage. And in our society, when we're menopausal, it's like we're not a few, we feel like we're not useful anymore. We're not desirable. We're, you can't have children. I mean, and this must have been much worse for the generations before where our whole identity was wrapped around being able to get married and have children. When that ends, where does our value lie? Where does our purpose lie? Just like you're saying. And for you, like, I just feel like you got hit with both. Yes. You had a birth in the first trimester. Your baby died. And then along with it, I'm just going to use the words of there was a death of your fertility as well. The ending of your fertility. So you're also grieving and mourning that. And I think for a lot of us women, that anger starts to (laughs) rise up too. And the way we're treated as that fertility ends and we move into another season in our life that generally is not valued. That was when I reached out to you, actually, Michelle. That was when I felt like this intense, Grief and anger would just would just make me feel suffocated, like on a daily basis. Yes. And I said, okay, because my my midwife spoke to me about you, about your grief work. It's just such an amazing thing that you're doing this. Thank you. Work. You're in that lane of work because you're just very special. You're a special soul in that sense. And I thank you. I feel like there was a reason why I went through all that you know I walked that long path and then I decided it was time for me to reach out to you and without knowing that this would end up with being amazing pretty amazing for me so I I was amazed by the fact that we were able to talk about not only about my experiences with childbirth and with miscarriage and we we were also able to talk about the fact that this would be the end of it and you never use the word like in a sense talking about my the end of my fertility you allowed me the space to mourn this too Mm -hmm. I didn't have to have a closure about it so you did not use that word or you did not use that word around that topic so I did not have to have closure I it would be you know valid it would be possible to think about you know having another child or having that desire to have another child even if it were impossible Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, scientifically or medically which I don't like (laughs) to phrase it that way but it wouldn't happen but still you were able to acknowledge how I felt and how I would still keep on feeling that way for a while Mm -hmm. and I think it's all about that doesn't mean that I'm not grateful because I have beautiful children and, and a beautiful family. It doesn't mean I'm ungrateful. I am grateful 
And yet I am mourning so many things mm -hmm. because not only because I lost the child, but I also will not have the childbirth that I want, yeah. that I wanted to have. I will not be able to have a home birth or I'm not saying everybody should have a home birth. It's everybody's own choice. So, I mean, but because of my experiences, I didn't want to have another child at the hospital because they would force me to have another cesarean. So I, I knew that I was able to, my body would be able to give birth naturally. And my miscarriage was the proof of that. So in a weird sense of term, I mean, this experience gave me a, the proof that I was able to give birth naturally in my own terms, in my own home. Yeah. And having contractions and, you know, just feeling how I was supposed to feel and have, have my baby. So I think having you offering me a safe space to talk about these things was just one of the best things I've done since my miscarriage. So thank you for that. And I think that anger turned into that flame of transformation, I should say, because I think every woman should own their own emotions and have these emotions transformative power turn themselves into what they want to be right it has such a huge power these you know these emotions have such a huge power that we can work against all these different rhetorics and different ideas that are imposed on us right so we can allow ourselves to talk about our own emotions nobody should give us allowance to talk about our emotions we can choose we can find the right people we shouldn't feel ashamed of the way we feel because I'm a naturally in a sense more like I'm a passionate person but more like a I don't like confrontations or I don't like fights I'm more like a I should say mellow kind of a person mm -hmm. but I felt this huge anger in me just it's just it wanted to burst out of me it was just so intense that I couldn't recognize myself but at the same time, I realized that I could turn it into something after our work and after we spoke several times and after I did my homework too, you know, thinking about my own experiences and thinking about my own feelings and expressing them through different ways. You can write a letter to your womb or you can, you know, you can talk to yourself, even you can record something or write a poem, you know, having my creative side being out there. Right. I was able to deal with this anger and turn it into, into something that can transform me as a person. So coming back, to our, coming back to the beginning of our conversation here, I should say that miscarriage has a transformative power as much as a childbirth has, in a sense, with an outcome, I should say, with a baby in your hand yeah. <laughs> that the hospitals are acknowledging. You know, And also I was surprised to hear that you can't deliver, well, if it's, I think you can't miscarry the, the way I did it at home. You can't do it at hospital, I think. You're not allowed because nobody is allowed to, I think doctors are not allowed to catch the baby. I'm not sure if I'm, I'm true. I'm, I'm correct in that sense, but I don't think you can't, you can miscarry 
I mean, if I were to feel like, oh, it's unsafe for me, they either can give you a maybe DNC or give it, you a pill and then miscarry. But I don't think you can have your contractions at a hospital. I don't think it's part of their care, is it? No, not that I'm aware of. Normally, yeah. if someone is giving birth in the second trimester or miscarrying, mm-hmm. once you reach 20 weeks here in Florida, that's considered a stillbirth. Right. So I believe it's 16 weeks or 14 weeks mm. that once you reach that point, then you give birth in the hospital or you miscarry in the hospital. But before that, it's at home. Yes. And, uh, you know, you're you're on your own. It's just. Yes. Yes. In a sense, it's just too lonely. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. And recently I'm working with someone and how she was treated Mm -hmm. in one of her miscarriages is horrendous. And if she had not had her doula, she probably could have hemorrhaged and died because the hospital was so dismissive of what was happening. And ideally, I think it would be wonderful if we had ER set up or a space for women experiencing pregnancy loss that is more sensitive and less dismissive or calling our baby byproducts of conception or fetal tissue. There's so much insensitivity here. Here's your mesoprostol. Go home. You'll cramp. You know, maybe you can take some Advil. (laughs) There's no, there's, I don't want to act like there's never compassion. So let me take that back. But overall, it's just, turned into this medical experience and dismissed the significance of it is dismissed and for some women when they miscarry they do like to just consider that one in four pregnancies end in loss and something wasn't forming right with the baby and therefore my body released the baby because it wouldn't be a healthy baby. And they like to think about it that way Mm -hmm. versus I lost my baby that helps them in their grief. Other people bond with their baby from the moment they conceive, they bonded with their baby even before they become pregnant. Yes, definitely. And our grief relates to the amount of bonding and love that was present. And we just need more sensitivity around it. And I think we definitely need it during pregnancy and birth and postpartum. But even in this, the changes that we go through as women, there is this, it's almost like there's belief that our creativity is gone. And part of what you discovered is our womb can be our center of our creativity whether we're having children or not doesn't have to be tied to that. Definitely. And when you say that, I again, remember our talk about the concept of uterus. Yes. (laughs) Um, yes. When I mentioned about the concept in my own native language, which is uh, Turkish. So uterus is Rahim. 
it's called Rahim in, in, in Turkish. It has a deeper you know, meaning. It has a very positive connotation. It means a merciful, compassionate. So it has this divine concept of being merciful and compassionate. Yeah. So when we suppress these emotions through, that we, we have experienced, we feel like our uterus, like as women, our uterus is faulty and we were faulty. So how about this merciful, compassionate being that is called uterus? How do we create that relationship between ourselves, our own identity as a woman, maybe as a wife, as a mother, as a teacher, as a sister, all these different identities that we, we hold. And then we create this relationship between our own different identities and our own mm-hmm. our own uterus, which is faulty, which couldn't carry a child full term or which uh, dropped the baby in that sense or miscarried the baby. Right. My own being, I am merciful. I'm compassionate. My womb is compassionate. My womb is merciful. My uterus is merciful. Rahim. So that's what I, when we had our first talk, we were just talking about, I think it was in our second talk, probably second meeting, probably we, this came up and mm-hmm. I started to change my inner dialogue in a sense with my own self and with my own fertility, as you said, and with my own creativity. So even though I had these huge emotions, these experiences, I still can connect uh, with my own being despite all these preventions against it. You know, I, I was not allowed maybe, but I don't need allowance from anybody. I can have these inner dialogues with my own self, with my own uterus, with my own fertility and with my own creativity as a person, as a human being. I can create. I can still create beautifully in many different areas. So I think it was really meaningful to have that conversation around that concept of uterus, (laughs) merciful, being compassionate. Yes, yes. As you're saying all that, just hearing you speak, it's making me a bit teary because what a different self-worth concept or experience we could have as women if we thought of our uterus as compassionate and merciful and embodying those divine feminine qualities of unconditional love instead of the messaging that is so prevalent here and especially in the States of we hate that time of month and the root of uterus is hyster, meaning hysteria, circling back to how we can't have our emotions, right? Oh, she's just hysterical. Right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what a different relationship to have. And that my uterus at 55 is still compassionate and merciful. And even for women, that have had a hysterectomy 
that energetic space of our womb, and for people that practice yoga or understand chakras, there's still that energetic of our sacral chakra, which is creativity. Mm-hmm. It doesn't die. It doesn't end when we're no longer having babies. And coming into 55, I'm realizing that there's a freedom in that too, instead of it being shameful. (laughs) There's too much shame. There's so much shame around our bodies and our uterus and our menstrual cycles. Even in childbirth and pregnancy, the placenta is considered disgusting. Yes. It's disposed, yeah. It has to be disposed right away. Yeah. <laughs> Cut it and throw it away. <laughs> yeah. I don't even want to look at it. And for me, placentas are sacred. In many cultures, there's a ritual around them. And it's our connection to our baby. It, that's our baby's house, as a lot of people say. Some cultures mm-hmm. consider the placenta the baby's twin. There's so much deeper meaning around it, but our culture is like, ugh, it's disgusting. It's medical waste. After all that purpose that it had served, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's disposed mm-hmm. yeah. as if it had to be. Yeah. Yeah. And also in different cultures, as you said, it's childbirth is understood so differently and Women are caressed more, you know, after they give birth, maybe at least 40 days, you know, they are just, they need to be supported. They are expected to ask for support in an intense way, you know, with everything that they need in their houses. And here it's almost like after having a major surgery, I was just sent home Yeah, on my own. And my husband had to go to work and, I was able to, through the rush of love and the power that having this child in my arms, I did well, I guess. I was able to pat my back and say, okay, you did well. You did so well. So you're going to be fine. So I was able to do it. But it's never easy. And women feel so isolated in many ways. After childbirth and after experiencing the death of the child, after miscarrying child i mean whichever term you want to use after losing their baby or having a pregnancy loss so there's this shatteredness you know you feel like everything is shattered in a, in a sense and even with childbirth you know you're not the same i had this scar and i had this replaying traumatic images in my head you know somebody coming breaking my water and i just remember it replaying in my head mm-hmm having this huge pain and, you know, the induction. And I don't know, just I'm amazed by women who can survive and including myself, survive these events at the hospital. And last year I broke my elbow and I am forever grateful for my surgeon to reconstruct my elbow. And I am, it's almost like, it has more strength <laughs> than my unbroken or, or unfixed elbow. I'm grateful for my surgeon in that sense. But why childbirth is like that in this world? Why is it 
considered as something <laughs> that medical. I mean, I want my surgeon to fix my elbow, but when it comes to childbirth, I need something different. Maybe I need to be, I feel like I need to be feeling more like caressed and cared for, maybe more compassionate and gentle rather than, you know, time, the clock is ticking and let's get it done kind of an approach. So it is such an important topic that needs to be talked about, I think. Yeah. This idea of having, you know, exerting power over women around childbirth, around their fertility, around having a child or choosing not to have a child. Why don't you have a child? Why don't you want to have a child? Or not being fertile enough to have a child <laughs> or having, right. you know, not having it in a natural way. Oh, you were not able to do it naturally. All this judgment and exerting power over women. And it affects all their experiences in all different areas of life. It's not only about their personal, you know, their family life, their relationship with their husbands. I think it's all about the woman's self-perception, their own identity building and their own transformation in this life, how they walk this path, how they walk this road in a safer way and they can be themselves. So it's such an important aspect to think about. My kids, I think, because they have seen me giving birth at home and they've seen what it is and how it is and they've seen it all, the blood and everything. I have two boys, so it is important. I make the point. I want them to understand how a woman feels and goes through and how this power exerted over them, through them, and through their own experiences. So it is very important to have them see it, see this through the eyes of a woman, even though that's the person is their mother. It doesn't make me any weak because I feel intense sorrow and grief. And I had days where I couldn't stop crying and I was crying. And I think it's important to, for them, for children to see that too. Yes, It's not about weakness. It's about expressiveness. And it's about them to see that their mother feels and feels that way because of this and what could have happened and could not happen. So... Right. And it's healthier, I think, when our grief can be expressed, when we can create ritual around it, when we have mourning practices in place. And we've lost that. And even as you're talking about raising boys, how wonderful it is that you're showing them these feminine aspects and they're being treated in this very honoring and sacred way instead of hiding it or being ashamed of it or my brain is going to these different posts that I've seen where people are talking about the things men are saying about our menstrual cycle or Mm -hmm. discharge and like we're not supposed to have any discharge in our panties it was some post and I just I so yeah it's dirty it's dirty dirty. Mm -hmm. yeah and why do our bodies have to be considered dirty because we're female when it does so much for us when it does so much for us on a daily basis yes 
Yes. It makes me hopeful that our children and the next generations, that there's going to be more openness and acceptance. My daughters and I were actually watching TV last night. We weren't really paying attention to the commercial, and I don't even know that it was the best commercial, but we all turned because we heard the word vagina in the oh. commercial. I'm like, did we just did we just hear her say the word vagina on television? And <laughs> we were having this whole conversation about that's good it. progress or bad. It depends on the <laughs> on the on ad. The yeah, yeah. But we were just so shocked. Or I remember you couldn't even hardly talk about menstrual cycles <laughs> on TV. It was very hidden, and <laughs> even with breastfeeding. When I started my career years ago, and this is long before Instagram and Facebook, there were no pictures of women breastfeeding in parenting magazines. And I remember seeing a magazine, one of my clients had it, she was German. And on the cover, there's a woman breastfeeding her baby. That would have never happened here in the States. And if you saw a picture of a woman breastfeeding, it was a baby under three months, not a six month old with her oh. hands on her breast. Or and... two and a half years old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we're coming a long way, but there's so much more work to do. You're very right. It starts with self and treating ourselves with compassion and kindness and owning our experience and releasing shame and looking at the places where the shame isn't our own. It's just been passed down to us. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We don't need allowance from anybody to express our own creativity and our own emotions. And it's just, we are replaying in our heads anyway. We're replaying those emotions those traumatic events over and over, unless we express them or find a way to release them, mm -hmm. it's going to be replayed and it will affect us like in all areas of our lives. It will just be. And, and on top of that, even if we just do it, you know, we just were able to express our emotions replaying can also continue in different ways because we don't know how the triggers will come and how we will just come to that point where you know we feel like it's fresh again so it's just it's a personal journey and it doesn't have a beginning and an end it doesn't have a time and space linear relationship it doesn't work like the xy you know horizontal right. vertical lines it doesn't work like that it's not goal-oriented. It's not the end result or goal-oriented. You are so right. It's very existential. And it's also, it lives and breathes through our own daily experiences because we are reproducing what is exerted over us. If we take all this power exerted over us as women, we keep on re-experiencing everything. We just, we are reproducing what has been exerted over us so if we want to break that cycle i think we can switch the game maybe take ourselves out of that frame or take our own being out of that circle that we've been 
put into, you know, just thinking out of the box or doing something different, maybe experiencing something else, something that can make us feel liberated and free and which will allow us to talk a different language in a sense, instead of the language that was exerted over us, that was imposed on us. And we keep on saying the same things. I failed. I'm a failure. I was not able to do this. How can I be so you know, naive to think that I was going to be able to do this? You know, we have that inner talk, mm-hmm. that constant talk that really reproduces that exertion of power, I think. So if we change that language, if we change that inner talk with the help of somebody, because it's very hard when you're deep, deep down into your grief and you yeah. know, you just, you can't breathe and the waves are coming at you and you're you're trying to swim that wave and that <laughs> that intense, these intense waves of emotions, it's impossible at times. So it is crucial to get some help in a sense, to have somebody else offer you that safe space because yeah. it is harder for family members or for friends or for other people to do it sometimes. Maybe they don't know how to do it or we don't know how to initiate the fact that we need some kind of help or it's never easy you know it's just it's not easy and it's hard to blame anybody else for the lack of helping you or you know your journey through grief so sometimes it is necessary for for you know for women to get that safe space from somebody that knows how to do it how to offer that space and you did that for me so I'm forever grateful for that and I feel like healing begins when you feel safe mm-hmm. and healing begins when you feel reassured and when you feel like you and your feelings your emotions your experiences everything is validated and everything can be acknowledged in a certain way you know it's it's a very delicate issue yeah how do I want to be acknowledged? Maybe I want safe space to talk about my experiences. And everybody is so unique in terms of how they express their own emotions and how they accept that safe space. You have to have that person to understand how you need to be addressed too. So it's not, it's not an easy job to <laughs> provide somebody a safe space. So everybody experiences their own grief in, in a different level and different dimension so it's and it's mixed up as I talked about my experiences about childbirth it's such an emergent topic to have a miscarriage it's just it's about your own maybe birth coming out of your mother's womb Mm -hmm. maybe it's about your own childbirth experiences or it's about somebody's personal relationships with other people with, with their loved ones was that person offered a safe space in their own relationships? Was that person caressed enough as a child? So it is such a personal issue that it needs to be addressed in a specific way. I think it's important to have that safe space from somebody who knows what they're doing. So, yeah. 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 And to find someone, if you find someone to hold that space and you don't resonate with them, find somebody else. Yes. It's okay to find somebody else. 
and it very much is a journey and someone may hold space for you in one point of that journey and then someone else will come along and then you might have a constant companion in it. But one of the things I feel is so important is when those big feelings of grief come up is to do our best to just pause and acknowledge it instead of suppressing it. So true. And if we're triggered, yeah, we can't always deal with it in that moment, but to circle back to it. Because I heard Amy Wright Glenn say once that our bodies know how to give birth and our bodies know how to grieve. And I absolutely agree with her in that. And where are we listening to our bodies? Where are we listening to that wisdom? Where is it getting suppressed because of our medical system? Where are we trying to control it? All those things. And yet, if those emotions come up and we're in a space to honor them, then I think it makes the journey a little smoother because it'll circle back around in a much bigger way if we don't acknowledge it. Definitely. And you can't manage. And you, you get overwhelmed by the vast amount of those emotions. And when you get overwhelmed by the fact that it's uncontrollable, then you get even more emotions on top of it. And the feelings of, you know, worthlessness and the feelings of being a failure comes even right with more strength. And it has this vicious cycle that, yeah. you know, that goes on and on forever. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're taught we should control it and that sometimes the grieving are broken and we just need to fix them. And that you and I know that's not how that works. Right. It's not. And I think it's wonderful that you did something with your anger because anger can invite movement. Mm -hmm. If we suppress it, it can turn to depression. But anger invites movement and change and potentially healing yeah yeah you just you put it in such an eloquent way yes definitely it's just it has this i think of anger as fire Mm -hmm. that fire burning inside of you so if you let it just burn inside of you it can burn you down but if you take it out and use it as like the superpower you know just like the superman's uh, kryptonite what was mm-hmm. it that thing that was well it was doing the opposite effects but it's almost like this maybe iron man's i don't know i can't find the right person idol for that but having that superpower mm-hmm. if i have this anger and i can hold it in my hand and feel it and give it a face and let it express itself and i can face it and i can let it out I can own it. It's part of me. I I have to respect it. You know, I want to respect it. I don't want to punish it because I have this bad boy angry inside of me. And it's just that anger is just making me do these things and it it has to be punished. Right. It makes you even worse. (laughs) Right. Because we women aren't supposed to get angry. Which no. is a whole nother conversation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, they need to be punished if they're angry. They have yeah. to be mild, they have to be happy, pleasing. Yeah. No. 
But anger is part of going through this process for some people, at least. It was in my case, it was like that. Yeah. So I had to face this anger. I was not able to have this child. I was not able to get pregnant again, maybe. I was not able to have the childbirth that I wanted to have. So I have to punish myself over and over and be angry at myself, at my body. Mm-hmm. And it's my body is already, it has already so many scars from childbirth. And then it has these scars from miscarrying. And then it has other scars. And then all that judgment on top of it. And then I am adding fuel to all that, <laughs> all that, all those bad, bad ideas about me and my failure. What am I doing? It's not going to help me become the person that I want to be. It's not easy. So it's just, it has to really happen in a certain way so that you can transform yourself through that anger. Yeah. It's harder to do it on your own. It's never easy. So I think, as you said, it's important for women to go meet somebody and somebody professional in that area and then especially with grief and talk to them and especially with somebody who knows not only the grieving process but knows all areas around uh, women's childbearing years (laughs) i think women who give birth or who decide not to have any children all of us, we need <laughs> therapy or we need um, consulting in that area because we always have this guilt, mm-hmm. no matter what we accomplish to do. You know, we, we become mothers, we choose not to become mothers because we are professionals. There's always this thing lacking. Oh, you don't have a child, you wouldn't understand. If we have children and then maybe we have other lacking areas, maybe the gender of the baby. This is also another issue all around the world. Oh, you have a daughter, you have a boy. So it's such a mixture of events, but it's always, it always comes to judging women mm-hmm. and their accomplishments, what they lack. It's not an outlook of looking what they accomplished, but it's an outlook that highlights what they were not able to do. It's an ongoing thing since the beginning of time, probably. So in order to work against this whole intense idea to suppress women's power i think we need to work on our expression you know work on our expressiveness and we shouldn't accept the silencing effects of these discourses yeah and these passages of life you're right there's so many judgments around them and over the years, I know I've shocked people when I'll say traditionally women and children aren't valued, especially in childbirth. And they'll go, no, 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 no. But when you look at the history and, and our conversation is starting to delve into that, we haven't. And so I think the true healing comes with what you said of learning to value ourselves and to figure out what's important to us and where does our value come from internally instead of externally. Definitely. Yeah. And it has such a deep connectedness to what we have experienced since birth, even before that. (laughs) It's 
Mm-hmm. If you believe in that, I'm sure there are people who believe in that. I believe in it. So I think it's a transcendental way of thinking about human experience. What have we experienced and how did it affect us? Our understanding of today and now. And nowadays it's so convenient to say, oh, live in the moment and focus on the moment and think positive. Well, when I have all these thoughts in my head, like all these traumatic events replaying in my head with imagery, with intense, vivid imagery, like as if I had experienced it like yesterday. Mm -hmm. Which is a sign of trauma. Yes, definitely. How am I going to focus in the moment and be positive and be meditative about, oh, life is so good, the sky is blue, when a mother goes through intense episodes of feeling grief, the feelings of grief, even the sky can make her weep. Even the tree can make her weep. I remember myself going to my last midwife appointment and I was feeling so happy, you know, looking at the sky. It was just, you know, it was a cool weather in Florida and we had this nice sunshine with trees. And then I remember three, four days coming back from that ER and feeling sad about myself and the death of my child and looking at the same sky, blue sky Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the trees. So it's just, it's very important to see that. I mean, positivity is not (laughs) something viable when you have these scenery, these intense emotions and imagery of past trauma replaying in your head. Right. And not only during daytime, you can suppress it. Maybe some people listen to music, watch something and do other things, get themselves busy with things. But then how about when you're sleeping? Mm-hmm. Dreams. I would wake up feeling myself pregnant for months, for years, I should say. Even I, I still have sometimes I have like vivid dreams waking up oh, feeling like dreaming about myself, like being pregnant. Yeah, I still do too sometimes. <laughs> right. yeah. 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 And where does that leave us? I feel like part of, because there is power in learning to shift our thoughts and do that work. But the problem is sometimes people expect to fast forward it <laughs> and they want you to jump from the grief to okay now be positive it's a process it's a journey and even with for example your cesarean birth you could be so grateful to have your babies but we need the time to process what happened we need the time to process what happened in a first trimester birth we need the time to process it and heavy in that grief we do it and then we need to rest and integrate, and then we can process some more, and then we rest and we integrate, and it is this journey, but people just expect us to, okay, it's been a month, now fast forward, you should all be okay, and it just does not work that way, and there will be moments that we get triggered. You and I were talking about Mm-hmm. before we started recording where I was writing the intro for this podcast and going back to those memories of my miscarriage, which was about 31 years ago. 
but still having those moments of those images in my head and those feelings coming up. And, you know, there's that voice, that cultural voice of, oh, it was 31 years ago, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know, why are you sitting here crying? You're so emotional. You're so whatever. Oh, yeah. But it's that mother's heart. It's those universal feelings of the grief of losing our child. And is it softer? Yes. And we were discussing too how, well, you know, I should just be grateful because I did have three more children. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't erase the experience of that child. That's still my child. Yeah. Yeah. Adding to that, that question comes to my mind. That question that I get and I, I'm puzzled while I act in a civilized manner and I answer it accordingly but how many children do you have oh yes yes I love that question well and then I'm like I laugh and I'm like okay well I have two and I say how do I respond to that person what am I going to say Mm -hmm. but even the simplest question can be a trigger yeah and at any point in life so no time and space uh, <laughs> restriction. So that question on its own, even after like 30 years after this moment in life, uh, can still be a trigger. I will manage better, of course. Mm-hmm. I will have the ready to grab and provide answer <laughs> to that right, question. Right, we've had practice to do practice. it, right? Yes, yeah. but for a newly giving birth mother who had experienced the death of the child it can be so so stressful no -hmm. wonder why you know women don't want to you know talk to other people maybe they want to isolate themselves a little yeah and then they feel like people think oh they are just too emotional and as you said you know women being accused of being too emotional and unstable and they isolate themselves and they you can't talk to them and it's just sometimes it is okay to say you know just I'm here for you mm-hmm. you don't have to say much you don't right. have to <laughs> say a lot without saying much it's okay to say I'm here for you whenever you need me yeah there's so much power in silence and in just holding that space and just truly listening. And sometimes we don't even have to say anything. Just listening is so powerful. And when we had our first conversation, I remember when we first met, I remember asking myself, what am I doing? It's been two years now. What am I going to say? I mean, am I going to explain? And then I'll be crying. I'll get all emotional. And I had these, all these judgmental thoughts over yeah. my, all over myself. I was doing the work for others. I was just telling myself, what am I doing this after all these years? It's been two years now. Why am I doing this? I know what I'm doing, but um, should I do it? I had doubts. And I, I didn't even want to talk about it to be honest but I knew deep inside I had this gut feeling that I needed to talk about it with someone who was able to listen to me and provide me the space for it 
to happen. So I felt I had to do it. And then once you start, it's almost like exercising, you know? You yeah, don't want to exercise, yeah. you don't want to go out for a walk, maybe you don't want to do anything. Well, once you start exercising, you feel like, oh, I did well. I'm glad I went out and to take a walk. I think it was a good idea. So it was almost like that. And once you start, because I had to suppress so much, I didn't know how to talk about those emotions. Yeah. I didn't know how yeah. to, because it was always in my head, in my own being, you know, in my without voicing it yeah so it was almost like in my head very abstract not concrete it was not tangible yeah yeah when a woman starts to talk about these things everything becomes acknowledged and tangible and it becomes spoken it was not spoken my experience was unspoken it was in my head yeah yeah. And then it just circles, 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 circles sometimes because it craves that expression. Yes. And then it intensifies itself even more and yeah. then comes back to that point where you feel, oh, I'm still on that square one. <laughs> I haven't progressed one bit, which is never the case. So, yes, I agree. I agree. Like I said, sometimes we do the work and then we rest and we do the work and then we integrate and we can't fast forward it. Any type of healing work or grief work, it is this very, it's almost a beautiful process once we can relax into it and understand it. It doesn't feel that way at moments when it's so raw, but as you progress further along the journey, there is this intrinsic wisdom there. If we can listen to it, I think. And there is also so much to learn about our own children too. When my youngest comes and tells me, mom, if you had the baby, I would have been a brother, right? Do you think I would be yeah. a good brother, older brother? Of course, you are a good older brother. Although you haven't experienced it, you would have been a terrific <laughs> older brother. And it, oh, mom, the baby would have been two years old. You know, they have this, Freedom of imagination, the freedom of expression in terms of what could have been. Mm-hmm. And it, it doesn't, you know, scar you the way how things are spoken or unspoken out in the harsh world that we have these days, in a sense, with the medical terms and with the judgments. And they can imagine things. And I think my kids also gave me lots of free space to think about. And of course, when I think about my husband, we are very different. But the fact that he was able to give me that freedom to, you know, to be. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to perform anything. I didn't have to just perform to be that superpower person. (laughs) Superpower, supernatural woman. So I was able to be. So I think it is important for women to have their own time in their own understanding of time with their own understanding of space, time and space. I think they deserve that. And it's such a subjective idea to have Mm -hmm. a certain amount of time. How much do I need? How would I know that? I'm experiencing it. I'm living through it. I don't know how much time I need. I don't know. I don't have a clue and I don't have to know. Exactly. 
So freedom, freedom is what we need in terms of expressing our emotions and living grief and experience in a healthy and you know, meaningful way, transformative way. Yeah. So I hope this message finds everybody thinking about the transformative power of experience and the death of the child and how women find themselves, maybe redefine themselves. Yeah and understand their own being, their own existence as women in this world. Yes, thank you. Thank you. This has been such a beautiful conversation as I knew it would be. And before we close out, could you share just little pearls of wisdom on perhaps what you wish you knew before you experienced your miscarriage and You've shared so much wisdom, but just a little thing you'd like to leave the listeners with. Oh, yes. I think compared to my childbirth experiences, I was lucky to have a midwife this time Mm -hmm. during this childbirth, this miscarriage. I think I would have, you know, when making the choice of having a natural miscarriage and natural delivery, like having a childbirth at home, I didn't 100% know that it would be, how it would be like in terms of having contractions, you know, it would take a long time, you know, and my hardest day was on Thanksgiving, so. Oh, holidays too, holidays. Yes, having these connotations, I would want somebody to warn me about the triggers around holidays because literally on the day of Thanksgiving, I was bleeding so much and Mm. we were on the phone with my midwife and I was monitoring my heart rate. My husband was doing it and she recommended me to drink more water and, you know, hydrating myself more and something happens I had to go transfer but I mean luckily it was just all fine and I think having this around holidays and not knowing that it would be that intense with contractions and having this experience of so much blood and mm-hmm. I think I would have wanted to know if I chose to have it natural I would really want to know more about it maybe and because it could be maybe for somebody else maybe they wouldn't prefer to have it this way and they would prefer maybe having a pill or an operation I don't know if I were to choose any differently but I think I would do the same I would still choose to do this having a natural childbirth at home, miscarrying my baby. So I think people need to be informed in that sense. And also being ready for the waves of emotions, not to suppress. So yes, I mean, in that sense, I should say that having those waves of emotions coming at you will be left and right and from all angles. And whenever... A woman is ready to reach out to somebody. I think she should just take a leap of faith and just go for it. I think it's really valuable to have that support mm-hmm. um, going through this process of intense grief and being able to talk about it uncensored. You know, no censorship is needed. 
can talk about it and that person knows about childbirth, about you can talk to that person about past experiences around childbirth. So it doesn't necessarily have to be about miscarriage. It's all about everything, I think, about the woman's identity and around this topic and all the related topics. So I think if somebody were to tell me that it would be this intense, maybe I would have called you earlier. <laughs> but but uh, I think it was the right time and I needed my own processing and going through life. And I have accomplished a lot since then. And I'm still doing the work and I'm willing to work. I think women are really strong and they go through so much and they know how to swim against the stream and I think this is one of the in most intense streams that they have yeah. to swim but um, there's always a way to go through it end up finding a treasure so that transformative power if somebody had told me that after having this experience you will feel stronger than ever I would want somebody to tell me you maybe a couple of years from now, I don't know how long it will take, but you are strong and you will find your own strength and you will find your own power in this and you will be able to transform yourself. You can do this. I would be really happy, even if I wouldn't believe in that person, <laughs> I, would, I would feel good about it. Right. <laughs> it's all in the timing. <laughs> yes. yeah. So, And it's not about positive thinking. It's just giving power back to the woman. You own the power. You're not powerless. Right. You're not alone. Yeah. You have yourself more than anything else. You have your own being, your own existence, your own power coming with you full force. I mean, no matter what you believe in, do you believe in the divine? Do you believe in God? Or do you believe in the universe? Whatever you believe in, you have it. It has your back and you have your own existence, your own spirit more than anything else. So I would tell that naive <laughs> Nazla of that time, I would tell myself, you know, just trust yourself and trust you in your belief in your own being and your existence. Yeah. So I think giving our power back to ourselves is the most important thing that we can do because we are stripped from our powers throughout these processes of having children and you know losing children. So we are we feel powerless and we shouldn't be feeling powerless. We have accomplished so much. We keep on accomplishing so much day and night, all around the world. And there is this commonness between women to feel this power. Yeah. I think it is important for us to understand this. So I would tell myself that, give myself that message and then tell myself, well, you know, pat yourself in the back and say that you're doing well. You're going to get through this. So you'll be fine. Yeah, <laughs> that's so beautiful. Thank you. And I'm so incredibly grateful for this conversation. And as you were sharing all that, it just reaffirmed why I wanted to start this podcast, because it creates a safe place for these conversations. Maybe a grieving parent isn't ready to talk to somebody, but they can listen to these conversations. 
and hear that they're not alone. So true. Yes. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I adore you. And I'm so appreciative. I love you too. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing so openly. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found this episode helpful and it provided you some comfort or insights. For a list of bereavement resources or to connect with me for grief support, please visit my website at birthyservices.com backslash loss support. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at Birthies Loss Support. If you would like to help to support me in this work to hold space for grieving families, one of the simplest and best ways is to please follow, rate, review, and share, and share again this podcast. And please be kind, compassionate, and patient with yourself as you walk this journey of grief, remembrance, and renewed hope. Remember, there is no right way to grieve the loss of your baby or your loved ones.